on the West Coast, and a great day to you wherever and whenever you may be listening. My name is Jason Dice, broadcasting and podcasting live from the studio of EloquentOnline.net in beautiful New Braunfels, Texas, Republic thereof. This is the Power Performance Podcast, the show that asks the question, if your brand were a band, would you leave the audience wanting more? Having a great CEO at the top of your brand certainly helps. And while we've done over 600 episodes with over 400 guests, it is very rare that I actually get to meet the guests in person. I was able to do that last evening down in San Antonio, Texas. Stephen Bug, the CEO of Great Lakes Credit Union, was in town for the mergers and acquisitions conference, and we had a great time hanging out in San Antonio, went over to see the Alamo. Uh, I know a lot about the Battle of the Alamo. I've studied the Battle of the Alamo all my life, basically. And just great. San Antonio is a great, great city. I think it's the best conference city to have an event in, and I've been to all of them. You know, I spoke at over 400 corporate events when I was speaking professionally, and I just think it's the best place. You know, you can be downtown from 7 to midnight, and you're not going to have any problems. You're not going to get mugged. No one's going to try to steal your purse or your wallet or anything like that. And they just had a great time. And so I want to thank Stephen, who was so kind. You didn't have to pay for dinner and everything, but I do appreciate it. And it was just great sitting down and talking uh, with a real banking professional, real banking pro about stuff that we talk about on this show all the time and other things. And just very interesting because I think we've got to radically rethink, especially in credit unions, this model where we have these massive trade associations and these massive leagues all at a time when every year there are fewer and fewer credit unions. And so that's just something that we have to address here in the next few years, I believe, I believe. And of course, we've talked about these things many, many times here on the show. Well, today after the break, we're going out to Florida to visit with one Lisa Cochran. I, I made an assumption about this a young lady when I saw her picture. I saw her title, CIO. Now, I know almost all of us instantly recognize the CIO in banking vernacular refers to information in terms of technology. I saw her picture, and I made an assumption based upon my spending a majority of my life in the 20th century. I assumed it meant like chief information officer in terms of public relations information. And so uh, I had to scold myself for that on the show. And again, it was not meant to be, it's not meant to be overtly sexist. It's unintentional sexism, I guess is what you would call it. And so I'm looking forward to visiting with Lisa. She is the chief information officer as it pertains to technology at big, beautiful Bystar Credit Union out in Florida. And so we're heading over, heading across the Gulf of Mexico to Florida, and we're going to do it all right after this. Why don't you years, conference quality information without the rubber chicken dinner, the Uber driver who won't turn down his music, and without the expense report. This is the Power Performance Podcast. They are doing good and banking better at one of Florida's largest credit unions. Her name is Lisa Cochran. She's the CIO at Vistar Credit Union. Hey, Lisa, welcome to the show. Hey, happy to be here. It is so good to have you on. Yes. 
Well, it's our first episode in April, and of course, we're coming out of Women's History Month, and I had to start by admitting a bit of a gender mistake that I made, a bias that I made. When I saw your headshot photo and the title of CIO, I assumed that meant Chief Information Officer, as in public relations. In truth, you are responsible for millions of transactions and the entire technology for a huge banking brand. First, let me ask you, do you find that these kind of assumptions are common in banking as it pertains to women in technology roles like yours? And if so, how do we change that? Well, you know, I would say in the corporate world, most people are familiar with the CIO title, and that's the head of technology. But, you know, I've uh, not all large corporations use that title for, for roles, and uh, I have been in meetings where people assumed, oh, are you from, you know, I've been asked, oh, are you from HR? Um, uh, <laughs> not at my current job, but uh, yeah. other jobs, you know, that they just assume from a gender perspective, especially if it's a, you know, a, a company I was at where um, the IT organization was predominantly male and I was new into right. a, a new space. Uh, there was uh, assumptions like that made. It is absolutely true. You know, I, I used the example last week. You know, when I hear uh, vice president of commercial lending and business banking, and in my mind, I see a guy in a suit or a, a golf shirt. And if somebody says, "Tell the supervisor," I do in my mind, you know, assume it's a lady. So, how do we change that? I mean, did, I, I think I know in credit unions, I've seen far more women CEOs than I do in the community banking world. But in, in your opinion, how do we go about addressing that? Because in my part, it's not intentional. It's just generational. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know when things shifted because my first job programming, um, it was at a defense contractor, Lockheed Martin. Um, but half the women working on, you know, a, had security clearances and working more on a sensitive program uh, for women. And then, and then it, you know, I think it was when I moved to Kentucky and I was at Humana, I really started paying more attention to the staffs and I had learned that uh, fewer women were going into computer science. I think there's a lot of reasons for that, like gaming became cool and so right. it attracted more males and there were some uh, – issues, I think, in the gaming uh, environment where women were sort of uh, sidelined out of it. So I don't know all of the root causes, but I, you know, I made the decision then that I wanted to be the change that was a difference in that. And that's when I really got involved a lot in helping uh, young women or, or girls, even as young as middle school, see themselves as somebody who could study and learn computer science. Because for me, I grew up in a small town in Nebraska. If you ask my family, I always said, I'm a city girl trapped on a farm, and computer <laughs> science was my way out. And I have had this amazing career. I've uh, had people who've worked for me all around the world in places like Singapore and Mexico City, and I got to travel to those places. And, you know, I've always been very passionate and loved computers, and so it was a good fit for me. But... You know, I just want everybody to have that same exposure, and if it's a good fit for them, have the same opportunities that I had. And, and then, you know, I think that it's super important to, to uh, reflect the communities that we're building technology for with the same uh, reflection of diversity. Um, you know, there's a lot of AI getting introduced in technology now. 
and uh, it, you know, it, it almost makes me tear up when I think about uh, some of the facial recognition problems that happened with uh, you know, African Americans and people of color and darker right. skin tone right. that where facial recognition worked really well the lighter your skin tone and not so well the darker your skin tone right. and yeah. you know a lot of that has to uh, plays into unconscious bias and the assumptions that we all make. I like to think of our brains as a big giant computer with bugs and um, that is a great that is a great way to put it. No, that is a great way to put it. I, I found out in the setup here today that I had at least two bugs in my brain, making the assumption I did about the person that helped put this interview together. Um, interesting what you said about computer science. One of my earliest memories as a child growing up in uh, the military community, my, my father was in mainframe computers when they first came out. He would bring home those old computer cards, hundreds of them, and we would make these really cool card houses with them. That's one of my earliest memories. Uh, my father actually did his master's thesis in the early 1980s on the topic of artificial intelligence. When it was all mostly theory, now it's a practical application that a brand like yours is probably employing at this very moment. Speaking about your brand, located in the city of Jacksonville, y'all recently welcomed the USS Orlick. It is a Navy ship of war. It features as part of its weaponry loadout something called Aegis. Now, that is something you know a lot about. Tell us about that. Well, I uh, so I mentioned my first one of my first programming jobs at Lockheed Martin, and it was actually working on the Aegis program. I worked on the operational readiness and test system. I had a security clearance, and so um, I'm uh, very familiar with the Aegis program. So I was so excited that. You know, our city welcomed the USS Orlick on Saturday, March 26th, to be part of the Jacksonville Navy Naval Museum. And I'm, like, so lucky I get to work at Star, which is the official credit union of that museum. And we're one of the sponsors that got to uh, help welcome the USS Orlick to Jacksonville. I think it's great. I'm a U.S. Army guy, but I always enjoy going and touring the ships of war, having served in uh, Desert Storm and in combat in Desert Storm, I'm very familiar with the power of the Navy launching uh, offshore uh, missiles and guided missiles and, and just the great support that we got from the Navy, both from the surface ships and from naval aviation. So I think that's great, too. And I, I love the fact that your credit union is a sponsor of the Naval Museum. Since we're talking about this and technology, you, you like I said, you're probably responsible for millions of transactions every week. If you could get every banking technology professional, all genders, in one room, what would you tell them needs to be the most important thing to be working on circa 2022 and beyond? Um, well, first, let me just pause a minute and say thank you for your service. I uh, meant to say that earlier and, and didn't, but I know that uh, freedom comes at a cost and it's at the Thanks to our veterans and the people who are in our military, and, and uh, so thank you for that. But if I were to get all of the technology professionals in one room, I think the most important skill that anybody can graduate with a computer science degree or really any degree right now is the ability to be uh, adaptable to change. All of, the th all of the programming languages that I learned with my computer science degree are pretty much you know, worthless in the uh, in the uh, corporate world today because technology changes. And I've had systems, one of the first 
systems that I, like I started as a developer and then I was a project manager and moved in and managed that application and was really proud when we celebrated rolling out the loss prevention workstation and it was celebrated when it was like put out of its misery like yeah, 20 years later. And so you can't be in technology if you're not willing to celebrate the end of something that you helped celebrate the creation of. And so, you know, I think that that skill among any other skills is uh, the most important skill to have because, you know, we're constantly changing how we work effectively, how we collaborate together, methodologies that we use to design and develop uh, programs. You know, the cloud was a scary place in the banking industry several years ago, and now you see this huge migration to the cloud technology. Um, so being adaptable to change and open to change and curious, I think, is one of the most critical things that anybody could have, but particularly important in the technology area. That's interesting. Now, you mentioned you were growing up in a small town, a farm in Nebraska, a city girl trapped on a small farm. And it sounds like computer science has been a passion of yours for a long time. But if you had not gone in to your current career field, was there another profession that you might have pursued? You know, I get asked this question a lot, and I just, you know, I'm like, if you're adaptable to change in the technology area, you sort of get to have lots of different careers in a single career. So it's always hard for me to answer this question. <laughs> but um, in, you know, in seventh grade, I remember doing a salary survey and like, I was like, should I be a writer or should I be a computer scientist? And at the time in the research I did, a writer made $12,000 and a computer scientist made $35,000 and then I sort of landed on $35,000. Well, maybe you could write your own life story about what it's like to be a young lady in technology traveling around the world. I think that would be fascinating. Now, of course, everybody knows that Vistar offers great rates on auto loans. So let me ask you, what was your first car? Because nobody ever forgets. I had a... 1984 Ford EXP. Ford EXP. I actually remember those cars. Now, did you have the nice loadout with the cassette deck? It did have a cassette deck, but it also <laughs> had some major problems. Like, it, uh, it, when it moved to Florida, it did not like Florida or the warm weather when uh, we went to uh, college uh, from Nebraska. And it used to, like, die on the side of the road in my cassette deck. Stolen. In case you missed that, Lisa said that when her car broke down on the side of the road, somebody broke in and stole the cassette deck. And I've got to say right here that, apologize to Lisa and all of y'all, I used a brand new microphone for this interview, and apparently when I'm not speaking into it, it is picking up every single sound of breath and my eyes blinking apparently it's just way too sensitive i'm going to go back to my old snowball microphone and so finally i asked lisa hey when you're driving to work when you're driving home from work what kind of music do you listen to what's on the lisa cochran playlist well you know a lot of the uh the music providers have uh, ai built into them and develop patterns and so uh, like Amazon Music, for example, has my soundtrack, and my soundtrack is probably, if somebody listened to it, is the most bizarre set of music that you can <laughs> listen to because it's current, it's uh, every genre, uh, but uh, the, the, the young kids today really like um, this song by Rick Astor, Never Gonna Give You Up, and so my 
my son, who's 10, was in the car with me, and that song came on. He was like, Mom, you know this song? Like, wow, that's so cool. I'm like, Luke, I listened to this song before, uh, it was like, <laughs> you know, the first version, the first time around. Oh, man. I, I, you know, just to prove that I'm not here um, sucking up to the guests, I have that song on my top 10 least favorite songs of all time. <laughs> you know, it just it just shows you how how diverse music is and how subjective the preferences for music can be amongst people from a similar generation. But I, I, I know a lot of people enjoyed that song. I just wasn't one of them. <laughs> well I recommend not hanging out with the ten year old set because they apparently like think yes. it's the best song on the planet. Yeah. It was a big hit. It was a big hit back in the 1980s for Mr. Ashley. Her name is Lisa Cochran. She's the Chief Information Officer at ViStar Credit Union. And yes, Chief Information in the context of information technology. That that uh, that goes for me as well as everybody else, in case you were confused about that. And Lisa, I want to thank you so much for taking some time out of your day to join us on the Power of Performance podcast. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed being here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's a great job. Interesting. Really enjoyed visiting with Lisa and learning more about what she does and about ViStar Credit Union. Again, I've just got to apologize for some of those audio issues. No, there was not a vampire lurking over my shoulder while we were doing it. This new microphone or that new microphone just picked up every single ambient sound. And the way we record this show through the Blog Talk radio platform does it in a single track. So I can't take out my audio without losing Lisa's audio. And so I hope that didn't take away from the interview. I encourage you to follow Lisa Cochran out on LinkedIn as well as ViStar Credit Union. I've got their website right there in the episode description. It's a credit union with a great military pedigree and military tradition. And I love what they're doing with the museum out in Jacksonville. If I ever get out to Jacksonville, I'm definitely going to go check that out. I also want to thank Jordan McCreary. She is a public relations professional with the Dalton Agency. And until she was on the call, I assumed she was a guy. So I was batting 0 for 2 in the gender assumption setting up this interview. But Jordan was great helping out with everything. And so, Jordan, thank you so very kindly for all your assistance. Hey, everybody else, next week you heard Lisa talking about gaming. Next week, we're going to talk to somebody who was in at the very beginning of what could arguably be said to be the most successful video game of all time, the Madden football video game franchise. And so we're going to have Don Transit from the Brand Hotel Marketing Firm next week on the show. You don't want to miss that. Now, look, I know I said I didn't like the song, but it was a huge hit. I heard it a million times back at Fort Ord, California in the 80s when I was running around and deserting every girl in the Monterey Bay area. So you got to give the people what they want. Hey, Luke, this one's for you. Until next we speak, my name is Jason Dyes, and we'll talk to you all next week. Take care.
everybody now. 